Hello, Saubona, how's it, Molo, Jumbo, and welcome to the Every Nation podcast. We hope this message will inspire you and draw you closer to Christ. Enjoy. Good morning, everyone. Are we well this morning? Come on, it's good to see you all. And uh, it's nice to have the students back in the house, hey? I feel like there's definitely more vibe in the room. Where are the students this morning? Welcome back. Wonderful to have you here. Um, Saw a number of the students were having a good time doing bonfires in the parking lot on uh, Friday night, which looks pretty awesome. Oh, to be a student again. Well, uh, good morning and, and welcome everyone. Um, just to, I wanted to give you some heads up. We are a church on the move and uh, we are coming to the end of our lease period in this building. We uh, actually, at the end of September, our lease expires here. Uh, it's been a seven year period and the Lord told us clearly when we moved in here, seven years and then I'm gonna take you to something else. And so we have been Uh, searching for the something else. And we are actually very excited about this upcoming move. And uh, we'll be unfolding to you guys over the next month, and we'll be telling you where we're going and what that means for us as a church. But all I can say is that God has, takes us from glory to glory. glory. Yeah, from one thing good to something better. And, uh, and I really believe that's the case with our venue as well. So we're excited to unfold that to you as we go. Um, it's been a wonderful month of guests during July. We've had some incredible speakers. And uh, if you've missed it, you're more than welcome to go to our website and catch up on some of the sermons from Pastor Seviwe, who was here last week. I mean, from Every Nation Bryanson, that was just incredible. Then we had Reverend Delaney, and we had Michael Cassidy, and we had Makabongwe. I mean, it was just a really an amazing month. But it's now time to start a new series. Today, we are going to be beginning a conversation on the end times. Can you say do 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 do? Um, So really, that's our topic for the next month and into September. We're going to be talking about the end times. For those of you who don't know, the Bible is actually a book that speaks a lot about the end of the world. I know when we watch our Hollywood movies, we always see the end of the world, you know, whether it's going to be aliens who come or whether it's going to be, you know, some, uh, some massive catastrophic environmental disaster that will take place. Um, All of these things are almost, it's quite interesting to watch as a Christian because it's like intuitively we know this cannot go on forever. Like at at some point the madness needs to stop. Um, And the Bible actually talks about the end of the world. The very first book in the Bible starts off with in the beginning, God creating the earth and creating mankind and creating everything that we see And then the very last book in the Bible deals with how God plans to end everything. And and so it was probably towards the end of 2021, yeah, it was at the end of 2021 where I actually started a conversation on the end times. And the reason was because at that time, at the end of 2021, do you remember those days or have you like kind of thrown it out? pushed it away. At the end of 2021, we were dealing with vaccines and vaccine mandates and vaccine passports 
And there was all sorts of crazy things going on around the world where, you know, in certain nations, you weren't able to go to restaurants or shops or malls if you didn't have a vaccine passport, you weren't able to buy or sell without it. There was all these restrictions being placed, all these uh, mandates being enforced on us. And at the time, we, a lot of people were asking, hang on, doesn't this like, sound like the book of the Revelation? In particular, chapter 13, where we see this beast arising and starting to control the world and there's this mark of the beast that comes out that then starts to restrict whether we can buy or sell and people are asking is this vaccine the mark of the beast what's actually going on and so that's why we started that conversation at the end of 2021 and certainly when you look at 2021 you do see a lot of Revelation chapter 13 unfolding. I mean, we see in, 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 in the pandemic, we saw big pharma really emerging its head and its control over the world. Big tech emerging and controlling the narrative around the world, restricting the freedom of expression and communication and controlling a certain narrative and pushing a certain narrative. We saw organizations like the World Health Organizations rising to prominence and even dictating to nations on how to behave and how to treat their citizens. So when we look back, what we did see was a lot of Revelation 13. And at the time, I preached three messages. The first one was on the mark of the beast so that we would know what the mark of the beast is and we learned that it wasn't the vaccine, all right? Amen, we can just breathe a sigh of relief. But I also spoke about the Antichrist because when we start to talk about the end times, one of the key figures is this person called the Antichrist and the Bible speaks about an Antichrist to come but there's also gonna be many Antichrists before him and so we learned about that in that sermon and I also preached a message on deception and persecution because those seem to be kind of like the theme of the end of the world is that there's going to be this mass uh, deception at work and there's also going to be extreme persecution against Christians. And so if you missed out on those messages, I want to encourage you to go back and, and listen to them again because it will help bring context. I can't go back and, and re-preach that stuff uh, in this time. So I would encourage you, you can go online. We'll make it available to you this week as well. We'll send the links out so that you can so that you can catch up. But what we also, what, what, what was the takeaway from the series? What was the whole takeaway of that whole thing? Well, in Revelation 13, the, the takeaway is this, is that we are living in extremely interesting times. And when we look at the book of the Revelation, what we notice is that many of the things that are in, like especially chapter 13, are starting to emerge now in the days we are living in. I mean, we are seeing the rapid increase of technology. We are seeing global empires starting to be established, alliances starting to be established. We are never more prepared on the earth right now than for a mark of the beast. I mean, we even have Microsoft Corporation registering a chip that you can put into your hand that can link to a digital currency so that you can pay using your hand. That's it's patented already, the patent is out. You can go see it on the internet. And very interestingly, the patent is, the patent number is 060606. So I mean like, now I'm not saying like ban Microsoft or anything like that. I'm just, all I'm saying this morning is like,
let's be aware. I mean, biometrics of the eyeball scanning, face recognition, palm scanning, thumbprint scan. It's, it's, we're living in a time now, digital currencies. There's talk of digital currencies replacing um, our, our normal currencies, paper currencies that we kind of used to. So we're never now more in a position where we can literally start to see Revelation 13 unfolding. Add to the mix. There's three very interesting things that I'm noticing in the world right now. Number one is this, the rise of artificial intelligence, AI. What, interest, what an interesting thing this is. In the book of Daniel, chapter 12, Daniel gets, the book of Daniel is, is an amazing book where Daniel is given revelation on, on what's going to happen in the end times. And there's a moment in Revelation 12 where the angel says to Daniel, Daniel, in the last days, knowledge, men will run to and fro and knowledge will increase. And what it, what it literally means in the Hebrew there is that knowledge will be compounded. In other words, it will it rapidly, it will be exponentially growing. Knowledge will be growing. Just look at, we're living in the information age right now, where knowledge is rapidly growing, and it says men, and, men will run to and fro through the earth. I mean, listen, we can get on planes, trains, cars, we can literally run to and fro throughout the earth. So when we read the book of Daniel, we have to go, hang on, this sounds very much like the times we're living in. This compounding of information and technology, this rapid increase of technology has resulted in the creation of AI. And the, question, and the question is, well, what are we creating in AI? And what does that mean for us as Christians right now? Like, how do we need to feel about this? How do we need to think about this? Are we recreating or trying to create a God? Are we creating a monster that's going to start to control us? Is this the beast spoken of in Revelation 13? I think that's a good question. And I definitely think it's worth exploring so that we're not left behind, <laughs> literally and figuratively, but that we're a church that's awake and we're aware of the times like Jesus commanded us to be. Amen? The second very interesting thing that I'm noticing in the world today is the rise of transhumanism. Transhumanism, for those of you who don't know, is literally the mixing of our biology, our bodies, and technology. And for those of you who don't know, it's actually a religion. It's a belief or it's a philosophy. And it's this, is that we can take our bodies and we can make them immortal and super intelligent without any limitations. In other words, it's like, you know, in the Bible, it talks about this body being sown in dishonor, but then raised in honor. It's sown in weakness, but it will be raised in power. There's a, there's a, there's, the Bible talks about the glorification of the human body, but it's done through the cross of Jesus Christ and through the resurrection. Transhumanism is an attempt to do that right here and right now. And the mixing of technology into the human body is a very real reality that is happening on the earth right now. And I think we need to have an opinion about that. I think as Christians, we need to watch that and know, well, what are we creating? Why? Well, Jesus said this. He said, in the last days, it will be like the days of like the days of? What was on the earth in the time of Noah? Transhumanism. 
Transhumanism was literally in Genesis chapter 6 to 10. What you see is that the sons of God made, ha, had relations with the sons of the daughters of men and there were these giants or superhuman beings on the earth at that time. And it grieved God tremendously. And it was one of the reasons why the flood came. So what we see is that humanity got wiped out. God exercised judgment on it. And when the, in the last days, now the times we're living in, it's going to be like the days of Noah. Are we not watching the recreation of, transhum of, of, of what we see in Genesis chapter 6? Where there's like these interesting quasi-human creatures going to be on the earth. I definitely think it's worth watching and worth considering and having a conversation about. The third thing that I'm noticing at the moment is also the rise of paganism and the worship of Old Testament gods that have had been for many centuries because Christianity spread so rapidly uh, throughout the Roman Empire and through the, the Greek uh, mindset and stuff that Christianity, wherever it's gone, it's kind of, it's driven out false gods and false worship wherever it goes and established true worship. But now what we're seeing is this overwhelmingly increase back to pagan ideas and philosophies and beliefs and worship literally like we see in the Bible. I mean, take this picture I have, for example. This picture, some of you will remember this. This was last year at the opening ceremony of the Commonwealth Games in Brighton in England. This is the opening ceremony of what? The Commonwealth Games, where billions of people are watching and millions of people are there all over the world. What is actually going on there? There's this big mechanical bull with crowds around it, bowing down and worshiping and dancing around it. And if you look really closely, you'll notice that there's actually a woman riding the top of that beast, which is literally what we see in the book of the Revelation, a beast emerging with a woman riding on top of it. So like if we are gonna be aware of the times we're living in, we, we've gotta look at stuff like this and go, hang on, this really is in the Bible. It really is in the last days. And most importantly, we need to ask the question, well, what does this mean for me? I think it's worth having conversations around these things in light of the increase of AI, transhumanism, the return of paganism and Old Testament worship, I think we need to have some end time conversations. Wouldn't you agree? And why do I say conversations? Well, because in this church, the way we roll is we preach on Sundays, we preach the Word of God on Sundays, but then what we do during the middle of the week is we gather in connect groups. And in connect groups, we send out a sermon summary with discussion points, and the idea is that you then have conversations around what you heard in the preach on Sundays. Why do we do that? Well, because if you're sitting here this morning and you're just watching me and listening to me, by the time you get home, take off your Sunday best, have a meal, you will have only remembered about 5% of what I'm gonna share here this morning. That's just science. <laughs> But if you're sitting here this morning and you're taking notes, which I hope you are, <laughs> feel the conviction, 
You can increase your retention this morning by 50%. But if you go to a small group and you begin to discuss it and read through your notes and talk about it with others, you can retain up to 90% of what we're preaching. And so in this church, we want to don't, we don't want to just like make quasi followers of Jesus. We want to make disciples. Amen. And so that's the way we roll. So hence we've called this end time conversations. Today, I want to go back to the book of the Revelation, chapter 13. I actually want to pick up where I left off two years ago. And I want to focus in on a theme that I see in the book. And it's the theme of worship. And so I've entitled today's sermon, The War for Worship. Because what we see in the end times is a war for worship. So let's go to the book of Revelation. We're going to go to chapter 13. But let's just take a moment and pray before we open up the word. Father in heaven. We commit this time to you. We believe, Siakolwa, that your plans for us are good. And that everything good starts with your word. Your word brings life healing and direction and so we treasure your word more than our daily bread and we boldly confess this morning that our minds are alert our hearts are receptive and we say speak Lord Kuluma and Kosi for your servants we are listening see Lale Amen. Revelation chapter 13. Let's go. We're going to read from verse 1. It says the following. Then I stood on the sand of the sea. And guys, you have to go back and read the messages because this is all symbolic and it all represents very interesting things. Sea talks about lost sea of humanities whenever we see the sea, all right? And so out of the sea, I saw a beast rising up out of the sea, having seven horns, seven heads, sorry, and ten horns, and on his horns ten crowns, and on his heads a blasphemous name, horns, crowns, heads, all of this speak about government's rulership. Yeah. Now the beast which I saw was like a leopard, his feet were like the feet of a, of a bear, and his mouth like the mouth of a lion. So a bear, lion, this is all speaking about Daniel, what Daniel saw in the book, in his book over there. It's all referring back to that. What is that? It's the representation of kingdoms and empires, all right? And we can actually track and see what kingdoms and empires those are. The dragon, we know from previous chapters in the book of the Revelation that the dragon is talking about Satan. The dragon gave him, the beast, his power. Interesting. Satan gives his power. And he gives his throne and he gives great authority. This is something interesting to note, is that Satan is willing to share. <laughs> He's willing to give power, authority, throne, dominion to those that serve him. That's interesting. We'll follow that just now. And I saw one of his heads as if it had been mortally wounded. 
deadly wound was healed. Could this be talking about the resurgence of an old empire, maybe the Roman Empire or the Ottoman Empire or something like that? We're not too sure. It could be. And then it says, and all the world marveled. Can you say marveled? marveled. This is not like marvel, right? This is, this is standing in absolute awe. Like, wow, this is incredible. All the world, right? We're talking about something that's global, a global phenomenon here. Marveled and followed the beast. Complied with fell into line with, stepped in line with, followed, obeyed the beast, this empire or conglomerate or government. or. And so verse 4 says the following. This is what I want us to focus on. So they worshipped the dragon who gave authority to the beast, and they worshipped the beast, saying, Who is like the beast? Can you say, Who is like the beast? And who is able to make war with him? So what, what are we witnessing here? We're witnessing the unfolding of end times. The Bible's talking to us about how it's going to happen. But what we're seeing at the, at the heart of this thing, what's, what's under this whole thing, and what maybe even is the purpose behind this whole movement that we're seeing, that this global movement, is this word called worship. At the end of the day, this is almost what's at stake here. This is what's almost being sought after. There is this worship that is going out to this beast and which, which can mean like, you know, a government systems or a, a, an alliance of governments. There's this adoration and praise and service going out to this system that's that, that rises in global control. Who is able to make war with him? Worship seems to be a theme in the book of Revelation because if you go back a few chapters to chapter 4, 5, 6, 7, what you'll notice is that we have the Lamb of God, Jesus, in heaven. And we have, it talks about in Revelation 4, of countless thousands of angels gathered in festive celebration around the throne of God, where it says that day and night, they never stop saying, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. And then we see these 12 elders before the throne of God, and they fall down prostrate before God. They throw their crowns before them. And we know 12 the, the, sorry, the 24 elders speaks about the 12 tribes of Judah and it talks about the 12 apostles. So the combination of all those who believe in the Old Testament and the combination of all those who will believe in the New Testament coming together, throwing their crowns down before the throne in perpetual worship saying, worthy is the Lamb. Worthy is the Lamb to receive praise and honor and glory. And then what we see later on in Revelation chapter 7 and 8 is that we see a countless multitude from Every tribe, every tongue, and every nation also gathered before the throne. And guess what else we see there? Again, worship going out to the throne. And so you have this story of God that's culminating in a worship of God, but you have the story of a beast that's also culminating in this worship of, of this beast. Very interesting. So let's go with me to... Let's, let's just probe into this deeper. Go with me to Matthew chapter 4. Matthew chapter 4. You there? You got your Bible? 
Thank you, Mlu, for that. Amen. Receive it. <laughs> Let's go to Matthew chapter 4. And we're going to read from verse 8. It says, now what, what are we doing? We just, we just want to look a little bit more into this idea of worship, okay? It says, again, the devil, same devil, right? Same devil, same devil we see in the end is here. This is the life of Jesus now in the Gospels. The same devil takes Jesus up on an exceedingly high mountain. And he shows Jesus all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And he says to Jesus, all these things I will give you if you fall down and worship me. And Jesus said to him, away with you, Satan, for it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God and him only shall you serve. Amen. So what, what are, what's going on? This, this kind of gives us a little window into the spiritual realm or the unseen realm of what's going on. What are we witnessing here? We are, we are literally, I, in the unseen realm around us, there is a war for your worship. There's a war for it. What do we notice from this? Is that Satan is looking for worship. What do we see in the revelation? The end goal of everything that he does is he's looking for the nations to worship him. Okay? So this is, is, this is something that he's after. And look at what he's willing to offer Jesus in exchange for worship. What does he offer him? All the kingdoms of the earth and their glory. What does that tell us about the value of worship? It's a high stakes game. It's a high stakes, like I'm literally, I'm gonna give you all of this and all you have to do is bow down and worship me. Which means that worship is more important than all the kingdoms of the world. That's how important this thing is. So you, I want you to see this morning, are poised and there are, is it a battle for your soul as to what and who you will worship? This is the temptation that comes to Jesus. And we see that he wins the battle really well. <laughs> he says, away with you, Satan. For it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God and him only shall you serve. Let me ask you a question this morning. Was Satan asking Jesus for a song? <laughs> I don't think so, hey. Come on, because then Jesus could, I mean, then we could just go, Jesus, just sing a song, take the kingdoms, and move on. <laughs> you know what I mean? So, so, so worship here in this context was not talking about a song. When we think about worship, what do we think about? A song. We just think about Sandile. <laughs> We think, about, we think about what we just had this morning, right? But this is telling us that worship is more than a song. Can you look at somebody this morning and say, worship is more than a song? Well, the question is, well, what is it then? What, what exactly, what's going on here? What are we looking at? Well, let's dig deep. Let's go to the Greek. <laughs> what does Satan say when he says, if you worship me? 
What is that word in Greek? It's the Greek word, we know we're getting serious when we talk about Greek, right? It's the Greek word proskuneo. And what it means is to bow down in homage. It's to do that, all right? That's proskuneo, if you do that. In, so Satan says, Jesus, if you proskuneo before me, then you can have all the kingdoms of the world. Question, was that what Satan meant? No. Oh, why? Well, because then, hey, Jesus, just bow down <laughs> and then take all the kingdoms and move on. <laughs> but obviously, it's more than just bowing down. Worship is more than a song. What is worship according to the Bible? What is it in this context? What did Satan mean when he said, if you bow down and worship me? And what did Jesus understand about worship that made him say, no? I'm not going to give that to you for even the, all the kingdoms in the world. We get a clue when we look at Revelation, I'm oh, sorry, Romans, Romans chapter 12. Scripture you all know really well. Let's go there. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, Acts and Romans, follow on. That's for free. <laughs> Exodus Romans 5. Chapter 12, verse 1. It says, I beseech you, therefore, brethren and sisterin, if you like, by the mercies, because it's August. Amen, Tandy. <laughs> hey, Tandy, you can sing, girl. You mustn't like uh, show talents to the pastor like that, hey? That's, that's dangerous. <laughs> Can, can, we, can we agree? I think we found a new birthday singer. Yes. Amen? Yes. I, I think we need to do away with the happy birthday. I, I like this one. I like this one more. I think we need to do this way. Happy birthday. Happy birthday. I mean, that was just like, we got a new one. Amen. Do I have an amen? Tandy, you are forever the birthday singer. <laughs> Romans chapter 12 verse 1 what, are, what is worship I beseech you therefore brethren and sisterin by the mercies of God that you present your bodies a living sacrifice holy acceptable to God which is your look at what it says in NLT this is truly the way to worship him this is truly the way to worship Him. So worship is so much more than singing a song. Worship is so much more than having a moment where we bow down. Worship is simply put, obeying Jesus and following Jesus, giving Him your life. So when Satan was saying, if you bow down and worship me, what was he saying? Give me your life. What was at stake in that moment? Well, we know Jesus later on in Matthew said, what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world but loses? That's what was at stake in the moment. That's why Jesus said no. Satan was asking for obedience to follow him. Obey me 
and I will make, give you these kingdoms. So worship in its simple definition is obedience. Graham Kendrick said the following. He said, worship has been misunderstood as something that arises from a feeling which comes upon you. But it is vital that we understand that it is rooted in a conscious act of the world to serve and obey the Lord Jesus Christ. That is worship, to serve and obey Jesus Christ. So if we come here this morning and we sing songs and we bow down, but we're actually not ready to serve and obey Jesus, we're really wasting our time. I mean, worship includes song. It includes bowing down. It's not excluding that. But can I tell you what the best song is? It's your life song. It's your life song. And so when we gather on Sunday, what we're doing is our singing and our bowing down is actually a demonstration, an outward demonstration of an inward decision that we've made to obey Jesus and give Him and serve Him with our entire lives as a living sacrifice. His way, not my way. What He wants, not what I want. And then I come and I sing out of that. But what a hypocrite we are if we come and sing those words and we walk out of here and we're not actually willing to serve and obey and live like a living sacrifice. Jesus said in Matthew 16, in vain do they worship me because they draw near to me with their lips but their hearts are far from me. It's hypocrisy. If we can sing about you're worthy but then we go out and live like he's not worthy and we're the worthy ones. It's not worship. Amen. And it's important that we understand that. Yeah. So, back to our battle for worship, all right? What is worship? Simply to obey, serve, follow. That's what worship is, okay? So we see this battle for the worship of God and the worship of this beast. We know from Scripture what it means to worship Jesus or what it means to obey Jesus. Jesus said in, in John 15, he said, if you love me, then you will obey. If you really want to worship me, then obey my teaching. Don't call me Lord and do not do the things that I say. So obedience in, in 1 Samuel 15, obedience is better than sacrifice. It's isn't it interesting how we always want to give God what actually he's not really interested in. <laughs> what, you know what I mean? Like, we, we, oh yeah, I came and I gave my song. Well, did, did he really want that? Did he really ask for that? He asked for obedience, that's what he asked for. So it shouldn't be this moment of like, well, I, I, know, that I, this, I know what I should be doing, I know he's told me to do this, but, but, but I'm, I'm still on the throne of my life here, you know? I still got things to do, Jesus. <laughs> I still got like, I got my, my stuff going on. You need to be careful. You're in a battle for worship. And something is winning and not Jesus. So we need to take note. The question I have, we know what it means to worship um, Jesus. We know what it means to obey Him. But what does it mean to obey or worship the beast like we're talking about in Revelation chapter 13? Why is that an important question? Well, because in the end times, what we read here is there's this worship of the beast. And so my question is, well, what does that look like in actuality because typically when we use the word worship what do we think of songs bowing down you know we, we think of moments like that so is worshiping the beast 
singing songs and bowing down to Satan? Or is it worship as the Bible talks about in serving and obeying? And this is what I want us just to really get in our minds this morning because so often when we think to worship the devil, what we think is, oh, what we need to do is wear black, do the black thing, you know, put the eyeliner or whatever it is and I don't know, put horns on and draw pentagrams on the ground and light candles and do rituals and we think like that's so often what we call devil worship, right? And so we go, I don't worship the devil, amen? No, we don't do that stuff, amen? So we know that, but, but is that really worshiping the devil? What does it really mean to worship Satan? Well, I think a good place to start is, let's go to the Satanists. Let's go to the church of Satan, and let's ask them the question, what does it mean to worship Satan? The church of Satan says the following. This is uh, Blanche Bartle, one of the head Satanists of the church of Satan, and they said the following. They said, the idea of worshiping Satan is ridiculous. We worship ourselves first and foremost, and we use the Satanic as just a metaphor for calling forth the powers within ourselves that we find enriching and enlivening. Satan has always been a metaphor for defiance or fortitude against all odds and self-determination in whatever guises he is represented. Basically, we worship ourselves. We, prefer, we refer to ourselves as I-theists, not de deists or atheists or agnostics, I-theists. We see ourselves as our own God. The most famous teaching in Satanism is their number one law written by Aleister Crowley in the book of the law, which says this, do what you will. Do what thou wilt. This is the whole of the law. So Jesus summarized the law of God in, worship the Lord your God and him only. And the, and the second commandment is as love your neighbor as yourself, all right? The summary of Satanism is do what you will. You are your highest authority don't restrict yourself. Follow your desires, your own plan, and your own purpose for your life. Does the Bible agree with that? <laughs> no, it doesn't, all right? But does the Bible say that that is how, what Satan worship is? Yes, it does. Why will we see this exact attitude in Satan in the book of Isaiah where he says, I will ascend myself above the throne of God and I will be like God. What was his temptation to Adam and Eve in the garden? You will be like God. So at the end, what is his purpose? His worship is, I'm the man in charge. And he tried to overthrow the throne of God. He led a rebellion in heaven. There was a coup d'etat in heaven. One third of the angels he convinced to follow him to try and usurp God, to take the throne of God. He wanted to be God. He wanted to be worshiped as God. He was cast out to the earth. Bad news, that's where he is, all right? Ruling on the earth. And what is the representation of his heart on the earth? Quite simply, mankind thinking he is his own God and living like he's his own God. And whenever you see a manifestation, an extreme manifestation of that, what you're looking at is the Antichrist. Throughout history, what we can see is various empires have arisen where the leaders of those empires 
start to believe, whether it was Pharaoh or, or Caesar or some of the, the Greek kings, what did they start to They started to, Nebuchadnezzar, they all thought they were God. And they asked for worship as God. What is that? That is Satan giving power, giving authority, giving dominion to people who will do what he does. We're self-worship. So what does it look like to worship the devil or the beast? Quite simply, to be your own God. Self-worship. This is important. Let's understand this, guys. We're not talking about running around in pentagrams and wearing black when we talk about the worship of the beast. We're talking about self-worship here. In Matthew chapter 16, verse 23, Jesus said the following. We know the story. I'll give you some context to it. He was talking to his disciples about going to the cross and suffering for mankind, for the sin of mankind. And Peter turns around to him and says, Jesus, far be it from you to do this thing. And Jesus rebukes Peter and says to him, get behind me. He didn't say get behind me, Peter. He said, get behind me, Satan. You are an offense to me. Why? For you are not mindful of the things of God, but the things of men. Notice what he didn't say. He didn't say, you are mindful of the things of Satan. He said, you're mindful of the things of? Peter, what Peter said to Jesus sounded so right and so noble. Far be it from you to do such a thing as this. This can't be true. What does Jesus say? Get behind me, Satan. You're mindful of the things of men. Have you noticed that there are many things that men say today on the earth that sounds so noble, right, and true. A loving God won't send people to hell. You're a good person. God made me this way. There are many ways to God. Live your life. Follow your dreams. If it makes you happy, it must be right. According to the Bible, they're all satanic. Why? Well, because they, at the core of them is that they find their foundation in the fact that you are the master of your own destiny, that you are your own God, and you decide what is right and wrong. You live by your own code. You do what you think is right. And you, while, and this is the greatest deception that's on the earth right now, is that mankind lives with this idea that we are our own makers of our own destiny, following our own rights, but actually we're serving, following, and obeying somebody who's promulgating that in the earth today, which is Satan. To exit the kingdom of darkness and enter the kingdom of light, Jesus said that if we want to follow after him, what do we need to do? We need to deny ourselves, pick up our cross, and, and follow him. So who do we deny? Notice that he didn't say deny Satan. If you want to follow me, 
You have to deny Satan. No. If you want to bother me, deny self. Pick up your cross and follow me. Why? Because it's synonymous. It's synonymous. In the unseen realm, there is the kingdom of God and there is the kingdom of Satan. If we want to enter the kingdom of God, we have to deny ourselves. And we have to obey Jesus and present ourselves to him as a living sacrifice. That's what it means to worship him. And now, if you're not willing to do that, if you want to take life into your own hands and live out your own life and your own destiny and your own dreams, and if you think that you can do it better and you think that you know better, then go ahead and do that. God created you as a sovereign being with choice. And he says, I lay before you blessings and curses, life and death, but hey, choose life that you may live. Jesus comes and says, he doesn't promise us that it's gonna be easy to obey him, but what he does promise us is that at the end of it, there will be eternal life. And not only that, you will walk in the blessing and the favor of God. You'll know God as a father, you'll be in a kingdom, you'll be one of his children, you will have an incredible eternal life with him, and you can claim all the promises in the word as your own because of that. It might not be easy, you might be persecuted because of it, it might be difficult along the road, but it's gonna be better. But it's an offer. It's an offer and humanity can choose. And so what we see humanity do is going, hmm, I don't know about that. I think I'm gonna do it my own way. I'm gonna do marriage, I'm gonna do family, I'm gonna do finances, I'm gonna do my life, I'm gonna do it my way. You know, I, and, and there's a way, the Bible says, that seems right to man, but the end of it is death. And this is, what, this, is, this is the whole gospel, guys. This is the moment that we all have to come to where we go, I've tried it my way, and it doesn't work. Let me try it his way. Let me obey him. Let me follow him. Let me give him my life. And this is, this is the choice before us. This is the battle for worship. Who will you worship? Jesus said, what is a profit if you gain the whole world but lose your soul? What are you looking for so much in this world? Love, finances, comfort, a certain lifestyle. What is it in the world that you want so badly? What? Maybe it's this, maybe it's this Lucas egg. Look how good it is. Look how shiny it is. Position, power, a big house, lots of money, doing whatever you want when you want. I want you to know it's empty because it's only gonna last. Everything that you see is passing away. Everything that you see, you can go and you can grab that life you can hold it and you can have it for but a moment. And then you lose it. And in the process, you lost your soul too. And this is the sad reality of the world we live in, is that we choose to give ourselves to things of the world, chasing the things of the world, rather than seeking the eternal life that's promised in Jesus Christ. 
1 John 2 says, do not love the world or the things of the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that's in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life is not of the Father, it's of the world, and the world is passing away, and the lust of it. But whoever does the will of God abides forever. Amen. Amen. So in summary, what does devil worship look like? It's not chanting or singing songs or running around a statue. Publicly speaking, it's about living your own way. It's about living your own life. Doing it your way rather than God's way. And why is this important to know? Well, in the book of the Revelation, in chapter 13, what we read there is that this worship of the beast might not be, it might include bowing down and singing songs to a beast, but it might actually be a system that's established in the earth that allows you to pursue whatever pleasure you want when you want. Any dream you want whenever you want. A system in the earth whereby you can live your own plans and your own dreams and your own desires. Call it a constitution, a government, what an economic, a political something whereby you can pursue self, self-actualization, self-indulgence, selfies. <laughs> and saints, <laughs> let me ask you this. Does that not sound very similar to the world we live in right now? So beast worship might not necessarily be a future event. It might be here and now. It might be this Western constitution, civilization that we've established where you can pursue you and your own dreams and your ideals and nobody can tell you otherwise. I think we need to ask ourselves some hard questions on this. Like, firstly, are we really following Jesus and pursuing the kingdom or are we pursuing self-actualization? In 2 Timothy chapter three, Paul writes and he says, in the end times, he says many things, I wanna highlight a couple. He says, men will be lovers of themselves Lovers of money, lovers of pleasure, rather than lovers of God. I find it amazing at how many events there are on Sunday mornings in our city. I, stand, I, I marvel at how difficult it is for Christians to read their Bibles, take notes, attend a connect group, make disciples, but how easy it is to watch another series, to go to another party, to partake in another sports or other event that the world has to offer and not make the kingdom central in their lives. Saints, I think we're living in the last days. And maybe a lot of Revelation 13 is actually unfolding right now in front of our eyes. John Piper tells the story of a man and a woman, a couple, married couple, who, who lived in Iran. 
than they do today as well. And this couple came to Jesus Christ and they were so convicted by the gospel, previously Muslim, they converted to Christ, they gave Jesus their lives, they understood what that meant, living in Iran. And for those of you who don't know, Iran is a closed nation to the Bible. It's illegal to have a Bible, it's illegal to be a Christian, it's illegal to talk about Jesus in that nation. Ali Khamenei has been ruling that country as a theocracy based on Islam. You will be persecuted, tortured, killed for speaking about Jesus. It's literally closed. So for people living in Iran, they live under the Antichrist. And what is Ali Khamenei? He's a type of Antichrist. All right, there's many Antichrists, he's not the only one. He's, a, he's an indication of the Antichrist to come. He's the, he's, when we look at him, we can see what, what the future looks like and what the, the Antichrist will be in the last days. This couple lived under that regime, gave their lives to Jesus, and they used to hug each other and kiss each other every morning before they went out to go and make disciples for Jesus. Because they knew that that could be their last morning together. They might be tortured or killed or imprisoned for their faith, but they did it anyway. They still went out and they followed Jesus and they obeyed Jesus and they preached the gospel and they made disciples. At one point, things got really hot and they had the opportunity to escape and go to America, which they did. And after some time being in America, the wife turned to her husband and she said these words, please can we go back? There is a satanic lullaby here and I'm feeling sleepy. And they did. They left America and they went back. Guys, get this. Get this. They left a life of freedom, choice, where they could do whatever they wanted, believe whatever they wanted with nobody bothering them and they chose to go back to a dictatorship where they could die any day. It makes no sense why. It makes no sense if you fail to see that the culture we live in is as dangerous, if not more dangerous than living under that dictatorship. Why? Well, because in our culture, you can have a form of godliness deny the power. You can call yourself a Christian, but never do the things that Christians do. You can say, I believe in Jesus, but never follow and obey Jesus. Where in that culture, in Iran, you can't just have a little bit of Jesus and think you're a Christian. You're not going to die for a little bit of Jesus. You're either all in and obeying completely and believe the whole Bible and obey the whole Bible or you have nothing to do with it at all. The lines are clear, whereas in our culture, the lines are very blurry. There is a satanic lullaby and I'm feeling sleepy. There are five parables that Jesus talks about his return. 
And interestingly, in all of them, he talks about being ready. In a few of them, he talks about sleepiness. He talks about, you know, the master leaves and, and comes back at an hour they don't expect, and the servants are asleep. He talks about the, the ten virgins, five wise, five foolish, and he goes and they, come, they all fall asleep. The question I have when I read these parables, what is the sleepiness? What is Jesus talking about when he talks about the sleepiness? Could it be the lullaby of Satan that slowly lures Christians into the worship of self? and self-actualization and into the pursuit of pleasures and worldly things to the point where there's only just a form of godliness but there's now a substance to it and you think you're okay and you think you're standing on a sure foundation but actually you're not yeah. you guys know in Durban we live here we have wood borer you guys know wood, wood borer yeah. wood borer these little flying ants, they, are they ants? What are they, bugs? They get into wood and they start to eat away the wood and then all those little balls come out, okay? And they eat through the wood and they eat through the wood. Imagine this pulpit was wood. They would eat through it, they would eat through it to the point where the pulpit is still there. The pulpit is, it's, it's a pulpit. You would look at it and say it's a pulpit, but if it was infested with wood borer, there would come a day where you would come and lean on the pulpit and it would completely collapse. Why? Because on the outside, it's got a form of pulpit, but on the inside, there's no pulpitness. <laughs> Jesus said these words. He said, there will be many on that day who will say to me, Lord, Lord. But he will say, depart from me. I never, I never knew you. I never, I never knew you. What does that mean? You didn't follow me. You didn't obey me. You didn't live for me. Somehow something happened in your life where you thought you could pursue self and the things of the world over the kingdom of God and obedience to Jesus Christ. What got in to your walk with the Lord? Can we stand to our feet this morning? I wanna wrap here. I don't know about you, but I feel the weight of this word. I want you to know that before I preach this word, I had to get to my knees. Can you just hand out communion? Thank you. The ashes are gonna just take it and hold on to it. We're gonna do it together as a family. I had to get on to my knees and I had to ask myself some serious questions before I preach this word. And I think it's important that we, as the church of Jesus Christ, who proclaim Him as Lord, ask ourselves these questions. That there's not just a, a song and a shout and I'm a Christian and I'm a this, but on the inside, there's no Christianism, there's no disciple of Jesus. concerned 
me now, please. I'm concerned. I'm concerned for your soul. Our souls. I don't know about you, but I want to be a church that's awake. I don't want to fall asleep. I don't want to think I'm okay and it doesn't happen. And that day catches me by surprise. I want to ask myself now, while it's still today, my heart is not hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. Is Jesus number one in my life? Do I really live for Him? If you take me out of Durban and you put me in Iran, am I still a Christian? If you put me in China where it's illegal, am I still a Christian? Do I still follow Him? Do I still obey Him? This is the question that's before us this morning. Church, we're not playing church. We're about to move into a new season, a new venue, a new season as a church, kind of like a new beginning. And I want us to go into it ready, awake, aware that God has an agenda, just as much as what we've seen the enemy has an agenda, that God also has an agenda for the end times. And it's this, it's the salvation of cities. It's revival. It's the, it's the transformation of the city of Durban. And I want us to go into this new season where we, where we are ready for that. And that is more important than self and serving myself and my own desires. So we're going to mix things up a little bit. Because we want to make disciples here. Amen? amen. Saying amen, but you don't know what I mean. We're going to mix it up on Sunday a little bit. Worship has been for many of us a time of buffering. A little defrag before we get into the word. We're going to stop that. Church starts at 9 o'clock from next week and 9 o'clock sharp. And we're going to start with the preaching of the word. And if you're not here by 5 past 9, we're going to close the doors because we don't want to disturb the word being preached. And at the end of the word, you'll be allowed into the service and then we're going to worship. That's when we're going to sing songs out of life songs that worship Jesus. Why are we doing this? Are we being religious? Are we being strict? No, we're making disciples. We want you to know that there's a cost to following Jesus. And we want to be a church where we don't give Jesus second best, half-hearted offerings that actually mean nothing to us. But we like to be entertained on a Sunday. We're, just, we're going to put a stop to that. That's just not... I'm not saying that's all like us, but I'm just, I'm just saying we're not going to go into this world system where it's diluting worship and causing our hearts to run after other gods rather than our God. So we're going to get a little bit more disciplined on Sundays. We want to train you. And we want to encourage you that before Sunday, before you walk in the doors, you search your heart and you say, 
Am I ready to give Him worship? You know, there's a church in Korea where the whole church gathers outside the building and they sing songs for an hour to practice before they walk into the building where they give their songs as worship. What is that? I just think it's an understanding of what we bring to God. Is it really our best? Is it really worship? Is it really He's number one, so this is why I'm doing it? Amen? So are you ready for that? Got all quiet on me. We're going to mix it up next week. But throughout this week and in discussion in your connect groups, let's go after this topic. Let's go after our hearts. If they've wandered from the Lord, let's bring them back. And then when we gather next week, we're going to begin sharp, 9, 9 a.m., and we're going to give Him the best. Amen. Amen. Preach the word first, but then we're going to really worship thereafter in song, in bowing down, proskineur, etc. Amen. Thank you for tuning in. For more messages like these and other resources, you can visit our website at endurban.org. Remember to subscribe to our podcast channel to stay up to date with the latest sermons. Be blessed.